Thank you for downloading this podcast from Abrupt Audio. You can find more episodes of this and many other podcasts at abruptaudio.com. Subscribe today to get the next episode automatically. Coming up on the Pixel Podcast. Microsoft will allow Xbox gamers to play against PS4 and PC players. Nike brings Back to the Future power shoeless to the masses. And the FBI warns that car hacking is a real risk. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Pixel Podcast. I'm your host for this week, Martin. This week I'm joined solely by my co-presenter, Ben. Ben, say hello. Hello. Unfortunately, Edson this week couldn't join us. Before we get into the core of the podcast, you can subscribe to us in many ways, such as Android device users can download the Stitcher app, Apple users can find us on iTunes, and you can find us online with abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel. That's P-I-X-3-L. Introductions are now done. Let's talk about this week's hot topics. There's a band called 1023 Megabyte. They haven't had any gigs yet. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Okay, for our first topic this week is Domino's robot finally removes last vestiges of human contact from pizza delivery. Even though it's just a prototype, one day a robot could be delivering your Domino's pizza. It sounds like a scene out of George Orwell's 1984, but this is quite real. So if you want a picture for the future, image a bot delivering pizza to the human face forever. That's right. We don't exactly know when the robots will start delivering to you your pizza. However, it can only be around the corner. Ben, I'm going to jump straight into this to hear what you think about it. I mean, Domino's have always been quite great with technology. They have, in my eyes, one of the best in terms of apps and websites for takeaway companies out there. And their tracking system is really, really good, really, really personal, works generally really well. So I think that they definitely have, let's say, the pedigree to make something like this work. And I think, you know, we aren't too far off from, you know, these sort of devices uh, delivering our meals to us. And, you know, it would save companies like Domino's a lot of money. It's sad for the people who... Uh, maybe want to get small little jobs, especially maybe uni students who want jobs on the side to earn a bit extra cash. But you have to admit, it looks pretty cool. I mean, you know, if you look on uh, the Abrupt Audio website, the show notes, you'll be able to see this article. And the, the photos of it look really cool. Obviously, it is just a prototype. And uh, this is done by the Domino's team in Australia. So uh, they have admitted, you know, this isn't going to be on our streets, you know, in the, in the next uh, little while. But it's just showing that they are serious in the space. And I believe them. I think that something like this uh, could be possible. I think I would like to see a feature that's not mentioned in this article at all is some sort of heater system in there so that it keeps your pizza at a really good temperature while it's going. And maybe a little compartment which has the fridge bits and it needs to be kept cold in there. Because I honestly think a bit of an issue with uh, ordering things like Domino's is sometimes a bit 50-50 in terms of the temperature that your pizza arrives. Sometimes it's not hot and still uh, and sometimes it's not really depending on traffic. And um, also I think another real concern is that, that, that this thing isn't that big. It's, it's that sort of awkward size where it's a bit too big to be on the pavement and won't be able to go that fast on the pavements would probably take a while but also probably is a bit too small to go on main roads and could cause a bit of havoc uh, on there so uh, so you know it, it's got a lot of ifs and buts and questions to be asked I mean almost like these buses that we were discussing uh, that were being trialled on roads these automatic buses uh, it's a very similar story I think that uh, you know it could if not done properly cause more issues than it's worth it but would I like to see it 100% 
Absolutely. And I'm going to just uh, drop back earlier in your statement. Uh, you said about jobs, which I t- totally agree with. It's going to suck for a lot of students coming out of university or college or trying to find that quick, easy job. Maybe the first step on the ladder of jobs of employability. Because we also, let's talk very quickly about Amazon's future, as they sure. call it. They they want to bring in drones to deliver pass, uh, passport, passports. Yes, passports and parcels to you. So I feel like obviously we're heading that way and it's becoming inevitable that robots will take over the the smaller jobs like they do in machine factories and stuff like that and also you said about um how big this was yes i totally agree with you in this photo it's about i'd say i'd guess the man is about six foot so i'd say about three foot off the ground from from my judgment and it's going to be very awkward very clumsy uh and i feel like it's just it's not going to work out. I feel like, obviously, this is a prototype and it will develop. However, uh, it, if it does come out in that sort of shape, it's going to be very clunky as well as. So our second article this week is all to do with Microsoft. Now, we have been dissing Microsoft over the past few episodes, but they have done something which I generally will take my hat off to. It is a, a nice uh, gesture towards the industry. Microsoft is set to allow Xbox gamers to play against PS4 and PC players. Yes, it's a big new feature that they announced for Xbox owners this week, cross-network play, something the software giant has hinted at for years, and now it seems the reality of PS4, Xbox One, and PC players playing the same game together might finally happen. Developers building games for Xbox One and Windows 10 will be able to support the feature, but will require Sony and others to participate in order for games to be played across Xbox One and PS4. Rocket League will be the one of the first titles to support the new cross-play feature. And Microsoft notes there is an open invitation for other networks to participate as well, strongly hinting that Sony or other console manufacturers could enable gamers to play their friends regardless of what device they're using. Sony did respond to this invite to connect uh, between Xbox One and PS4 networks, uh, but it was kind of a little bit encrypted as to whether they were really opening their arms to Microsoft or not. Although, it is an interesting point to note that Sony have actually supported cross-play between uh, PS3 and PC before with one of their online-only games, which enabled people on both sides of the platforms to have a slightly different experience, but one that was very much tied in and worked together. I have my reservations and doubts about this working, mainly because it will require immense amount of support, not mostly between uh, Microsoft and Sony, but also between the game developers themselves, because sometimes, and this is often the case, the versions of games that run on different platforms are slightly different. And of course, if you're playing an online game such as Battlefield or Call of Duty, I think there's going to be a real advantage to people playing on PC who have mouse and keyboard versus the people who are playing with a controller. Now, Martin, do you agree with what I'm saying? Here. Do you think this is going to give an unfair advantage to some of the players? Obviously, this article dropped earlier in the week, so uh, Ben and I, we couldn't hold back. We needed to talk about this as quickly as possible. Um, I'm going to sum it up. I feel like Ben opened my eyes when he, he said this previous statement to me before, and I totally agree. It's so unfair. Like, uh, I'm not the most quickest reaction player ever, and I feel like I'm definitely at a disadvantage with people who use keyboard and mouse. It's, it's just like one button done. With a controller, it's sort of like you're using your whole hand. Some people um, can use a keyboard with just like two fingers, it seems. They're just that quick. It doesn't really matter anymore. And I feel like it definitely will hinder the experience. And I feel like a lot of people are going to get angry and feel an unfair advantage. However, I will say this. With my friend back home, we've dreamed of this moment. We wanted to do little tournaments together. And it's all the better now if this ever does go through. 
that I have a PS4, he has an Xbox One, and we said we'd love to play with each other over the line, but we can't do that anymore, which really does suck. And I feel like if this does push forward, I, I can see it hopefully turning out for the best. Obviously, we can only speculate how it's going to happen. Another comment I really want to bring up here is, and maybe I'm going to be very controversial here, we've obviously talked about Microsoft in a bad light, I feel, in these last few podcasts. However, with this sort of stuff, do you feel like maybe it's a sort of like a desperate move to sort of try and keep upper echelon with like uh, Sony's PS4? Because we've said about like sales aren't matching up to PS4s and also a very of the ex- exclusive games are no longer exclusive to Microsoft's Xbox One. They're going off to other uh, consoles. Do you feel like this is maybe a thin veiled attempt to keep gamers interested? I think in some ways you may have a point, Martin. Obviously, there are a lot of players who have moved from the 360 to the PS4 to the Sony camp uh, in the latest generation. I think the people maybe who haven't made that jump already will probably be largely influenced, and so are a lot of people, largely influenced by what their friends play. So if um, they can try and make this connection with Sony, it's sort of saying, well, if you do stick with your Xbox, at least you can still play with your friends. So they're trying to maybe give one less excuse to people choosing, which is definitely a good thing. We shouldn't look at this as a bad thing for players. It will give them the choice to choose the platform that they really want to play and not the platform that their friends are having, which a lot of people make the decision based around that. But I am a little bit sceptical, like I said, how this is going to work out. I think it's going to be far more complicated. And, and honestly, if we just look at more simple things, like when Microsoft tried to get the Kinect into games and Sony tried to get the PlayStation Move into games. Now, when you try and get any new technology into a game and it takes a lot of work from the developers to implement it, the chances are the developers are going to look at it and go, look, this is the amount of time and money it's going to spend us to implement this into our games and to make this work. Are we going to see the same return amount of players? And honestly, if you think about this from a developer's point of view, what what difference is it going to make to them? Gamers are going to buy their game if they want to play their game, and they're going to play it on their respective platforms. So therefore, they're going to spend the same amount of money. So the developers aren't making any extra money out of this. There's no benefit for them. So why really, unless they're forced to by Sony and Microsoft, which I don't really particularly see happening, are they going to do it? And I think, you know, that's really answered the question. I think it's not going to happen. I think it is a nice gesture. And I think maybe Microsoft's only um, sort of franchised games, like games that are only on their systems, maybe only on the Xbox and only on the PC. We've seen some of the games that are going to PC from Xbox and things like that. I think obviously those in-house games will be supported. And that's for obvious reasons. The game developers probably don't have much choice. Microsoft are saying this is how you're going to do it because this works with the way we're marketing the Xbox One and PC at the moment. But I think outside of that, which is almost the more important question, because there's more third-party games out there than there is obviously first-party, they're just not going to bother. And I think there is a a real reason for them not really to bother because what difference, like I said, is it going to make for them? So I think in summary, what I'm going to say and try and bring your comments in, do developers have the time? Obviously, very a few games that have come from the PS4 and the Xbox One, the new gen, as we like to call it, have struggled very uh, just with the simpleness of it all. So I think the real question is, is there really any benefit and can we actually see this actually happening? Like you said, the updates. Like, if I'm playing on a more updated version than Ben, he can't really play with me. Otherwise, it would just make no absolute sense. So there we go. I feel like it's a long way in the works, but hopefully we can sort these bugs out and push for the future of gaming. Okay, I'm going to try and contain the excitement that I have here. Are you ready? Nike brings back to the future power shoelaces to the masses. Yes, I'm just going to compose myself here because I have a massive smile on my face. But the future is now 
as Nike reveals sport-informed adaptive lacing, a shoe typing system that behaves a lot like the power laces from Back to the Future Part 2. So, Nike just announced that the product should cause Back to the Future fans to freak the heck out. Well, this is heavy. Even that, um, just to come off topic very quickly, freak the heck out. That doesn't even sum it for me. I really want these shoes. The company have revealed the HyperAdapt 1.0's a self-lacing system triggered when you place your foot inside the shoe. When your heel hits the center, the laces automatically tighten. Two buttons on the right adjust the fit, making it tighter or looser. Now, Ben and I are massive fans of the franchise. And seeing this, I'm trying to hide this smile, be very composed, very uh, professional about this. But I just want these shoes. I see them, they look, and I never use this term, sick. They look amazing. I love them so much. Ben, before I, I like go ultimate fan boy, what do you think? First of all, I think that uh, sadly, I know that these shoes are one, going to sell out extremely quickly when they hit the market. And two, they're going to be ridiculously expensive. We know this, especially as it's new technology coming to the market. But I share the excitement for Martin, a big fan of that future franchise. I remember seeing those shoes and saying you know, to myself, I immediately wanted those shoes. And honestly, I've never been a big trainer person. Like, I'm not the sort of person to go, oh my God, Nike have got a new pair of shoes out there, look amazing, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I need a new pair of shoes. I'm going to go to the shop. Those pairs look nice. I'll buy them. So for even the fact that, you you know, uh, and I know Martin agrees uh, with me on that. He's definitely not that sort of person either. So the fact that we're getting excited and talking to you guys about shoes means that they're pretty awesome. For people who can't see the image, which I definitely go and check it out, if you search Nike HyperAdapt 1.0 on YouTube or on, on Google, or check out, of course, the document on abruptaudio.com, you will find all the information there and you'll find the video and it is amazing. There's a blue LED light that comes underneath the shoe, which looks really, really cool. There's some lighting that comes up the side of the shoe to greet as you put your foot into it and then it tightens itself. Honestly, I absolutely adore them. They look amazing and uh, it, it's just the start really and to see what else, what other shoe designs they're going to do with it. Uh, it's really going to set Nike off and I, I bet you all the other shoes are literally quaking in their boots at the fact that, uh, you know, there's, there, there, there's this technology that Nike own and you know it's going to grab so much attention and draw everything away from all the other shoe brands. So, Martin, I think we don't really need to talk about this a hell of a lot longer. What would be too much for you to buy these shoes, or is no amount of money too much? I want to say no amount of money is too much, but that's not the truth now, is it? And would you would you be able to actually wear them every day like normal shoes, or would it be the sort of thing Ooh. that would be on a shelf? It's sort of the party piece. And people come around, you'd be like, oh my God, you got the shoes, and you try them on, you do that, and then they go back on the shelf. I'm going to... Right, this is not what I would pay for it, because I would like to pay for these for, for next to nothing, as any uh, normal person would. I always have cheap shoes and mm. a bit of knowledge for you there. I think these will be on the market for around, and you might be like, no, my, no way. I'm going to say $200 Do you know what? I had, that, I had that figure in my mind. I had a couple hundred pounds yep, absolutely. in my mind. I, I think that's, yeah. I mean, a general pair of Nike shoes can go for about 80 quid, so something with this technology, yep. if you double it at least, it's going to be, add a bit on top, it's going to be a bit like that. Yeah, $200, so like what, 180, 185 pounds. About that sort of money. Because obviously I feel these are going to go into America first. That's why I put it in dollars. However, I'm not too sure if you did cover this. I'm really sorry. I'm in this midst of excitement. But it's called the HyperAdapt 1.0. Meaning there should be more. Maybe. Hopefully, yeah. The 1.0 does lead to the, you know, if, if you put 1.0 over something, it means there are going to be f future changes and updates, newer versions and things like that to the shoe. So what will they do next with it? 
oh my god, I can't imagine. The one thing I do have is a little bit of a reservation is the way that these are powered. Is it a battery that you'll be able to change every so often? Is it rechargeable in some sort of ways or a cable that you can plug it into water and charge it up? Is it solar? We don't really know. It shouldn't take too much to power. I mean, there's not a lot going on there. There's some LEDs, which are very, very low power and a little bit of a motor. So as long as it can be either recharging itself or there is a way for you to change the battery slash recharge it, that would be good. I think it would really suck if they were sort of thing is that they have a battery life and when that runs out, that would be it. That would be not very good at all and definitely uh, would upset a lot of people, including myself. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with these shoes. I'm definitely excited for them, but I guess only time will tell if they actually really meet up to our expectations. Back into the gaming realm of things, we're talking about Sony and their PlayStation VR headset, which if you have been in the bush in the past week, you will not have heard the news that they have announced the release date and price for the latest VR headset. It is set to be about £349 in the UK and to be released October this year. That is, if it isn't delayed any further. I don't think it will be, but you never know. The low price and launch game focus from Sony's PlayStation VR headset has gained a lot of praise from industry watchers. The price and the release date of October is a move that has gone over well with industry analysts who expect this to be a $30 billion market by 2020. A quote here says, I like the price point, but it doesn't include all the accessory components like the camera and controller, said Joost van Droenen, an analyst at Superdata Research. So I expect Sony to announce a budget version that provides consumers with everything they need. The demos they showed were good, but none have the allure of being a critical killer app. Perhaps the collaboration with EA on Star Wars will play a part later this year. However, Sony's support of the indie scene for VR is on point and will prove vital to the device success. I'm eager to see what a developer like that game company, responsible for the landmark journey game, can do with VR. Garden analyst Brian Blau noted how the entire PS4 ecosystem makes VR look more attracted for the consumer when it comes to considering their wallets and stressed the importance of software. And this is a really important point, like I come back to. To get something like the Oculus Rift, you're talking about $600. And then to get a PC that's going to run the Rift well enough, you're talking about, you know, a $1,000 plus PC. So by the time you add that all up, it makes VR a lot less attractive for the average gamer. So it's nice to see that Sony have got an all-round package. Yes, you're going to have to have a PlayStation Move controller, uh, the, the eye camera and the headset along with your PS4 to make this system work. But you're talking at something that's probably going to be about six, $700 with the whole console if you're buying it all from fresh, rather than at least double that um, in the uh, other options that are available in the PC market. And some of the games bundled they showed at the minute, are, I think show great promise. Okay, they're not as flashy as some of the stuff you've seen on PC, but we are talking uh, something that is running on a console, not on a PC. And running VR is far tougher on a piece of hardware than it is running a normal screen because you've got to think about how wide and you know uh, and big that pixel resolution is in comparison to your normal 1080 screen. So I'm really impressed. There have been some really great games. There's some stuff to do with mobs. There's stuff to do with puzzles. There's loads of indie stuff. And I think, like it says in this article, the indie side of this will be the real decider in the success of VR because if the indies get behind PlayStation's way of doing things, it will help everyone else get behind it and it will help a constant flow of new games 
being flourished in the ecosystem for the device. So, Martin, do you think this makes VR more appealing? For someone like you who does own a PS4, would you be far more appealing to pick up VR and get more involved with it? And do you think people like-minded will now think about getting it, whereas before it probably was something that they wouldn't even consider? Well, I think before I answer your question, I'm going to just quickly go back on some history, like the Virtual Boy, which was the first sort of VR coming out in 95, I believe, and what a blunder that was. And... Although I don't remember, obviously, because I'd be about the age of one, I remember a lot of my dad's sort of era who play a few games. I remember they were being quite scorned by it. And a few people a bit older, um, older than me remember it at quite a young age. And they said it was quite, mm, you know, wasn't there. So I feel like they, it's great that they dug this back up. And especially for the price, especially when you're going through the numbers, uh, it's going to definitely cost you less than that you would with an Oculus Rift. And it added all the accessories onto it. I feel, though now, more than I thought about it, it's something I don't want to get involved with. On on the pure basis that I'm probably the most average gamer. I like my uh, console, and I like my games how they are. M- maybe that's a bad way to live in the past, you know? We're always looking for that next... Well, we're always looking for that next, like, iToy, like PS2 once came out, how revolutionary that was. We're always looking for that next Connect, you know? And for me, this just isn't it. I feel like there could be something else out there for me. I understand where you're coming from, Martin. I think, you know, the tech person inside of me, the gadget person who loves to try out the latest stuff, is the person that's really getting excited about this. And I understand that we're really going to have to watch this closely because it really, like I said, it's going to depend on the developers and the way they get behind this. But... What I think is a far more appealing way of looking at this is not just the VR side of things that the headset can do, but it's a screen that you can play any games through, not maybe in a VR way, but use it as a screen that you can have on your head that you can play sort of solely without disrupting anyone else. You're not, if, you, if your console's in the living room and you have, you know, a family member, girlfriend, wife, whoever, who wants to watch something on the TV, you can pop this headset on, you can play a game. It doesn't have to be a VR-supported game, any game. You can watch Netflix. You can do a load of different things. And it's like a little screen that also at the same time as a second use that you can go away and you can just use without disturbing anyone else and actually probably get a far better experience because you're in that you know immersive uh, sort sort of world rather than sort of playing on a normal screen, and you're going to get a far bigger screen, you know, more, more movie cinema like experience at something which is a lot smaller, and you could even just take away with you on holiday if you really really wanted to. Okay, now I'm going to be sort of like the mum, the parent here, to say, how about damaging people's eyes? This is also something I've come up with just sort of now when you're going through that like the screen is pretty much fixed right near your eyes i could see like uh, a long use could definitely uh start hurting you eye strain i feel like that might be something uh, to take into account but i do understand where you're coming from you can take it away as a second screen somewhere else let someone else use the living room if if your console's in the living room but i feel like that's the mum inside of me saying hey what about health issues? I think really the issues you're bringing up are kind of a non-issue and then to sort of sort of disagree with you quite a bit here. The uh, the, the sort of headset sort of thing and, and almost the sort of augmented reality or having screens basically near your eyes has been something that, that's been going on for a long time. I remember being uh, a younger kid and there was these glasses that you could have that had screens in them that would give you almost a movie experience. The way they're designed is to, is to be almost emulated as if they were a certain distance away from you. And that's the same way in the light intensity and things like that. And also, it is kind of a common myth that still exists today where actually sitting too close to screens does 
damage to your eyes. It's not actually a true fact. It was a very, very, very long time ago with really, 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 really old and first TVs because they did give off some radiation. It was that radiation that did the damage to your eyes. However, these days, the sort of panel technology, the LED panel technology and all those other things actually does zero damage to your eyes um, when, you, when you're any proximity for it. And also because there's lenses that this light goes through, it actually has a sort of um, a, a, ref a refracting element in it that actually does help reduce that kind of eye strain and things like that. So I think also the things like the Oculus Rift have been in development now for quite a few years, probably at least three years now. And they've been very well tested, very well used. And I think the only issues anyone's ever had had with them has been more of a motion sickness thing when they're playing VR games. If you're someone who genuinely gets quite motion sick anyway, obviously you might be someone who might suffer from using things like this. But if you like your roller coasters, if you, if you don't genuinely get quite motion sick playing things, then I'm sure you're going to be fine. And I think this type of technology generally, uh, in terms of the sort of the screen headset sort of type things, has been around for so long that we kind of really know the research on it and we know that it's safe and that it's fine and it's not really going to do any damage to anyone. If you think patience is a virtue, try surfing the net on a 14.4K dial-up connection. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. So this week's main topic is all to do with the FBI. No, I'm not talking about the FBI versus Apple case, which is still in the news somehow, but we're just refusing to talk about it as we've already talked about FBI and Apple enough. No, this is to do with uh, car hacking and how they believe it's going to become a real risk in a recent post. It's been eight months since a pair of security research proved beyond any doubt that car hacking is more than an action movie plot device when they remotely killed the transmission of a 2014 Jeep Cherokee as it drove down the St. Louis Highway. Now the FBI has caught up with the news and it's warning Americans to take the risk of vehicular cybertage seriously. In a public service announcement issued together with the Department of Transportation and the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration, they have a really catchy name, the FBI on Thursday released a warning to drivers about the threat of over-the-internet attacks on cars and trucks. The announcement doesn't reveal any signs that the agencies have learned about incidents of car hacking that weren't already public, but it cites all of last year's car hacking research to offer a list of tips about how to keep vehicles secure from hackers and recommendations about what to do if you believe your car has been hacked, including a request to notify the FBI. Quote here says, modern motor vehicles often include new connected vehicle tech technologies that aim to provide benefits such as added safety features, improved fuel economy and greater overall convenience. This is the PSA. Aftermarket devices are also providing consumers with new features to monitor the status of their vehicles. However, with this increased connectivity, it is important that consumers and manufacturers maintain awareness of potential cyber threats. The FBI and DOT's advice includes keeping automotive software up to date and staying aware of any possible recalls that require manual security patches to the car's code, as well as avoid any unauthorized change to vehicle software and being careful about plugging insecure gadgets into the car's network. Most of the tips stem directly from last year's research demonstrations after hackers Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek hacked the Jeep in July. Chrysler issued a 1.4 million vehicle recall and mailed USB drives with software updates to affected drivers. And the next month, researchers from the University of California at San Diego showed that a common insurance dongle plugged into a Corvette's dashboard could be hacked to turn on on the car's windshield wipers or disable its brakes. So, Martin, I know you're a kind of more of a classic car person. You are kind of the person who likes vehicles to be almost back down to the basics. Is this a worry to you? And do you think that these car companies are maybe taking things as seriously and always being as proactive as maybe they should have? I feel like this is definitely something from a film or the game Watch Dogs. It's quite bizarre how this has uh, unfolded throughout 
However, I feel like they're doing the right thing, recording cars and noticing that this is a real risk. Also, I don't want the car companies to fall behind the hackers because that's the last thing we want. More vehicles affected uh, across uh, the world. And I think that would be a horrible thing Like to wake up one day and your car's been hacked, like the brakes have been tampered with, or your car's gone. It's like, started the engine, off it goes, you know, down the street, see you later. And I think it's great that they've noticed the problem now. I don't want to be like in five years' time where these hackers have got this head start, they're taking every uh, car's left, right, and center, and we're all scratching our heads like, how are they doing this? And by the time we've realized that, you know, so many cars have gone. And you are right. I prefer the old classic cars. And I will say you wouldn't get this problem with a uh, old Ford Cortina or anything like that, would you? Unless someone cut your brakes. Unless someone cut your brakes. But we don't talk about that sort of stuff. Now, uh, you know, it is a little bit of a concern. If you look at things like Tesla's automatic driving as well, where you, you really don't want a hacker being able to get into your system software while your car is Although as much as you're supposed to be monitoring it and being there paying attention, uh, driving the car for you down the highway, you know, if it does something, all of a sudden you maybe suddenly brakes, suddenly turns, you know, there's not a lot either. Maybe if you're even, you are doing 70 miles an hour or, or the like, you can do, you know, uh, very quickly to stop it. It could, it could have a really bad damage. But I do believe that maybe someone like Tesla, I would like to hope to believe that um, they're quite an advanced company and, you know, and they have been working really hard that they would ever, you know, even risk something like that happening. And I think that they are, they are very regular the security updates over the air they're they're sort of keeping on top of it and i think if um, other companies stayed on top of it maybe as much as they did i think some companies are a little bit lazy or they think that they can get away with cutting corners in some other ways you know if you are having a a more modern digital car i think that car should be uh, digital enough and up to date enough where it can over the air update itself i think it's not a far stretch these days for cars to constantly be connected to the internet uh, while you're driving and if there's an update you know the, the next time you stop that car it automatically does that update straight away so there's no risk there almost an apple approach in the way that they deal with security if anything happens uh, on apple devices any security flaws come up uh, you know the moment that it's anything arises apple immediately in there with a security update and often sometimes getting the devices to automatically install it so the users uh, can't delay in getting that latest security update so i think you know there needs to be a system i think honestly there needs to be more bodies making sure the car manufacturers aren't doing anything they're not supposed to in terms of not having these security features in there and i think we need to take it seriously you know we take computer security seriously we take our you know phone security very very seriously I think we need to take car security just as seriously. And, uh, you know, I think especially the non-techie people need to really start keying in. And when you're buying a new car and if you've got a lot of technology stuff on there, ask the dealer, get in there, you know, go go to go to car manufacturers. What are you doing about security? I think the more customers that start asking about these things, the more the car companies are going to have to really be on it and updating it. And, you know, I think I think we're up, to, we're really on it with a lot of other technology products. But I think as cars are slowly getting more advanced, I think a lot of people don't even think, you know, that this much damage damage could be done or, or would even know about it. So spreading the word, keeping the car companies on their feet should hopefully be a good mix of uh, making sure that, uh, you know, that we stay safe on the roads and that, uh, you know, more importantly, we keep on top of the hackers and that we're one step ahead of their actions. What do you get when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? Pixel Podcast. Okay, it's the final topic of the show. This is normally where we'll go into verses. However, Edson not being here, it'll just be a normal article discussed with Ben and I. So the name of this article is Virtually Violent. Arrest over emojis raise new legal questions. Emojis and emoticons are especially popular with teen set, in part because it is appealing to the artwork and can express 
a complex emotion or statement in one simple click. Friends, dog died, tearful face. Boyfriend sent flowers, hearty eyes. Aced an exam, fist pump. These are all just simple ways that people can convey a message in such small text. And we, we wouldn't... And this is the argument of language is getting shorter. That's why it appeals to teenagers. But since when is winky face a menace? Is a poo serious insult? And is there any legitimate reason to text someone a knife or a gun icon? With the recent felony arrest of a Virginia middle school student who posted a message on Instagram along with a bomb, knife and a gun icon and the words killing and meeting in the library Tuesday, it's clear that the law enforcement is taking this seriously as the threat was made online, regardless of the user intended it to say it was a joke by using emojis to heighten or replace written language. Well, this is a definitely serious topic here. And as the article said, we need to get new legal rules and regulations involved as the web is constantly developing, so should the rule book. And I would also give the question out, why is there a gun, bomb or knife emoji in the first place don't give that to the people they won't use it it's quite simple however i would definitely think this is a great move by the police i feel like with this if it's a joke you can't really tell online there's no sort of emphasis in words to say it's a jokey jokey term however i will pass this over to ben Ben, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think this all does fall onto the general user. If you are posting things uh, with these symbols on them, it really doesn't take a genius to work out that someone may be a bit concerned about what you're posting. And the law enforcement are doing the right thing. If this was posted on Instagram and was reported to the police and they did nothing and then something happened, guess what? People would be outraged that the police did nothing and they would be in serious trouble. So doing this as a caution, I think is a good thing. I mean, if you're sharing this sort of thing online, be, 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 be careful, like, you know, think about it, you know, it doesn't take a genius, like I said, to figure out, you know, that someone might take something like that the wrong way. And honestly, you know, the pictures convey text and convey meaning. And, you know, the text that you write convey meaning as well. So, you know, both things basically mean the same thing. So just because you've put a picture to describe something doesn't mean it's any better than physically writing it. Do you know what I mean? So it's the same with a lot of things. If, 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 you've, if you made an artwork of, of something bad about someone, you know, if you made an artwork, but it basically said you want to kill the president it's no different to you writing I want to kill the president there's no difference there the meaning is the same and I think people uh, just because these 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 emoticons have their sort of cartoonish ways about them people don't really realize the the uh, trouble they can cause with them so I think you know people should learn through other people's mistakes and actually take to note that actually no you know this isn't the right thing to do and I mean personally I just feel like I have a bit of common sense and I wouldn't do something like that. To be honest, I've never, ever used these sort of emoticons in question. I do use emoticons all the time, but uh, to be honest, half of them that are available on iOS I barely use, especially the gun, the knife, and the bomb one, and especially those three in a row. And I mean, really, if you look at it, it's not just the, the emoticons that we use. I mean, the fact that she put the word killing with it as well and meet me in the library Tuesday. I mean, these are all red flags on their own. So I think this person was trying to be a bit too clever or maybe thought they could get away with it. And went, oh, it's just emoticons. But uh, I think, you know, even though she was a 12-year-old girl, it's still a serious uh, statement to make and a serious thing to put online. So uh, really, the lesson to be learned here is to just think about your actions and it makes no difference whatever it is that you're posting. Okay, we've talked about the person in question itself, like saying it was a bad idea for her to post. Obviously, Let's just say Ben did send me these emoticons in a row. Like I might, it might be an in joke. Maybe I don't know. I hope it's a very sick in joke, but it might be. But also, you got to think about other people who might be seeing that and think raise concern. Then you got to always think about 
other people are going to see this. And I always think, if I was going to sit down with my mum and say this to her, would she be offended? That's probably the best way of putting the analogy out there. And also, I'd say, is it really just her fault? I mean, I think we should take these gun, knife, and bomb. I can't see when you're ever going to use these emoticons unless you're going to cut a cake. But why don't you just put cut a cake instead of these emoticons? That's the only reason I can see like the knife being in there. But the gun and a bomb, I find, is inexcusable. Yeah, I agree with you, Martin. There is there is a kind of a, a mixed blame here. I mean, obviously, if you put the the emoticons there, people are going to want to use them. And uh, but I still think you know the argument could go both ways, and and it's kind of it's kind of good to almost play devil's advocate with this. I mean, you could say the same thing is that you know people have the alphabet, they have the words, they can write these things either way if they want to mean them as a joke. So you know, this is something what Apple would say is that the fact that we've got it there is basically not telling people to go and put those things together. You know. It's same as if you know if Apple gave you the option you know, to go and jump off a bridge, would you go and do it? Well, no, because you should have the common sense to think either way. And I think the same thing rolls back to this. Yes, they are there, and they probably have their very particular non-offensive uses to them. And I'm sure people could come up with non-offensive uses to use these emoticons. But you know, if it's an in-joke between your friends and you say, I think if you're just sending it as a text between you know you and a friend, you're probably on the same wavelength. You understand the whole issue. But posting it on a social media public by everyone, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anything like this, then you know, this is the fact of millions of people being able to see it and uh, you know there's a guarantee that millions of people aren't going to be in the same wavelength as you are and you know even it only takes someone to take it the wrong way uh, before it starts causing real trouble so in summary we're trying to say think about what you're writing and be smart about it who is going to see this and who will be offended by it caps lock preventing logging since 1980 pixel podcast Okay, sadly, that is the end of episode seven of the Pixel Podcast. If you have enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on many different platforms. If you're an Android device user, you can find us on the Stitcher app. If you're an Apple user, you can find us on iTunes and also Abrupt Audio Online at abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel. That's P-I-X-3-L. So with that, we're going to say goodbye to Ben. Hello, goodbye. Thank you, Ben. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And if Edson was here, he'd also say goodbye. Thank you for stopping by, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Pixel Podcast. Thank you, and good night. Or as they say in gamer speak, G-G-N-O-R-E. Cup. Brilliant. Oh. Well, after that long session, an hour recording session, uh, I'm going to gun emoticon knife bomb. Cool. Good, yeah. I'm going to burning body, bomb, and gun. I'm good. Yeah. Do you think do you think if you think I'll get away with it, I'll post it on uh... No. <laughs> you don't think I would? No, I don't think you would. Oh, okay. I think um Oh God. Could you imagine the repercussions if you did put that on there? Great, isn't it? I think my mum would actually probably question it first. Yeah. My, oh, I'll tell you what. My mum is the worst about Facebook, right? Okay. This is why I never uh, put anything on my Facebook. Mm. Um, I think it was in college. Uh, my friends were doing substances they weren't meant to. Let's mm. put it like that. And they tagged me in it. I was not even near this place. And my mum, the next day, I woke up and she went, where were you yesterday? I was like, oh, I was at college. It's like... Have you been doing things that you shouldn't be doing? I'm like, no, why? She's like, she showed me this. I was like, no, it's a running joke. And also, this photo was of these people I've never met. It's just like a joke sort of, you know, like you find it on the internet. It's like a meme sort of thing. And I was like, what the fuck, mum?
See that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing sometimes. Jokes are often lost with the older generation and they don't understand. I think, actually, this is going to come back to the article as, uh, in some ways, and this is why you should probably be extra careful. You're right. Things that might be topical to younger people, like, you know, what she might have put might have been topical between her friends and things like that, and, you know, a bit of an inside joke. But there's people out there on the internet who aren't um, in that sort of age group or in that sort of, like, in-joke and don't really get, you know, what's going on at the minute and that sort of stuff, and then it can be taken completely wrongly. So, uh, so yeah, I mean... There's a wide variety of people on the internet, including your mums and, and your parents and your family, and they probably don't understand the in-joke. So, yeah. Also, I hope it's still on here. If you go in my Facebook, it's when I went single, mm-hmm. my mum went, it's all right, Martin, it'll be all right. As one of those things I was like, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I don't like, yeah, I don't like posting those. I don't like those, when I when I do it, I do it privately. So, like, no one gets, like, it doesn't post. I hate, I hate it when it's like, oh, blah, 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 is now single. I'm like, I don't, one, I don't really want to know. And two, what am I supposed to say to that? Like, it's a bit awkward. Like, At least you've got those new, like, those new Facebook reaction things. You can put, like, a sad tear. At least try and feel a bit awkward than someone liking it. I, I would definitely have, like, the face of a really happy person with, like, a thumb next to it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yay. Yeah. Do you know what? I feel the the end of this week's podcast has been fairly uh, fairly more upbeat and promising and, and, and actually interesting than normal. It's normally when we talk about stuff. More about like court cases about FBI against Apple. Yeah, we normally talk about we normally talk about utter Yeah. Yeah. Now I've got to beat that one out. Now I feel like it's definitely been upbeat. Um that's because uh, I said I need to be a bit more upbeat. And I feel like definitely when you start upbeat, it ends upbeat. Mm. There might be a little low in the middle, which you'll probably find any editing. Mm. I think it went really well. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna go and cry in a corner now because I sorry, I just just don't want to do this anymore. So Edson, come back. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna, I'm gonna end the podcast on a really, really sad note. Bye. That that quiet. Stop. <laughs>